On March 8, 2022, while returning from an off-roading adventure in Baja, California, Mexico, I was arrested at a military checkpoint when they found my 40 caliber pistol that I had misplaced in my truck. I was arrested. For the next 58 days, my wife and family were manipulated, extorted, and lied to. This podcast is that story. All right, everybody. So for a while now, I've been back from Mexico and I promised that I would give a detailed account of what took place during my time in Mexico. And so what we're going to have today is the long version, the first episode of Bill Gets Arrested in Mexico. And in the studio, I have my beautiful wife, Megan. Hello. We have her here today to give her account of what's going on during this same time. So uh, some of you have heard the summary podcast, and maybe some of you have not. This would be maybe an interesting story, and this will get. This is going to be a lot more detailed than the forty-five minute summary overview that I did earlier. So to start it off in the beginning, I was in Mexico as a group leader for a trip, and usually every year I go with my wife. And this particular year, my grandchild, our grandchild, baby Eleni, was born uh, about a week prior to me leaving for Mexico and I uh, tried to convince Megan to go with me to Mexico, but she wanted to stay and hang out with the baby. So I said, I'm still going because I really look forward to this Mexico trip. And I've always felt safe in Mexico and really enjoyed going to be a group leader on this side-by-side off-road trip. So we get going on that trip. I bring my friend Brent Miller, who's uh, my dentist, but more importantly, my good friend. And he had never been to Mexico, never been on a long journey off-road trip like this so it was going to be good we head out a couple days into it i had some challenges with my machine i decided i'm not going to ride it out we're just going to head home Uh, during this time with my wife and i she's a little bit upset that she didn't go with me after a couple days and so you know i'm just and and i'm only telling you this to set the tone so i'm kind of i'm feeling bad that my wife's not with me because this is kind of our trip that we do together i'm texting her then i have some issues with my machine so I thought, you know what, I'll come home early and surprise her. We decide to pack up and head out. We stop in San Felipe. It's a couple hundred mile. I had to stay with the group for an additional day. Uh, I convinced the chase truck to take me and my my car and my friend, and I convinced another guy, Leonard, to go with us because he had some issues with his machine, and he was just kind of riding shotgun. And I said, well, I'm headed back to Vegas if you want to go with me. So it's now me, Leonard, and Brent in the chase truck with my vehicle in the trailer and we're headed for San Felipe where all the vehicles are usually parked for about the week long excursion and then we get back, get our vehicles, load them up and head back. So now we're back in San Felipe and finish up lunch and start making the two and a half hour trip from San Felipe up to the border to cross over the border and then I calculate that we'll be home around 6 p.m. that night. And I don't know, at this time, did you know that I was coming home? I did not. Because I was going to surprise you, right? So I thought, oh, I'm going to surprise Megan. I'm coming home early. You know, I'll have some time to work on my machine when I get back. And then I've already got the rest of the week slated off. So I'll just spend time at home with my wife. She's getting irritated herself that she didn't go with me, right? Yes. And so 
People can't hear you nod. So I well, <laughs> yes, because in my mind I was thinking, well, I'm going to stay and I'll, I'll be there for the baby and I'll help. And then I realized, oh, I'm not really needed. Like right now mom just wants to be with baby and that's perfectly fine. But then I'm like, oh, I should have gone on this trip because this is our trip and it's so fun. And so that with, with all this going on, uh, I can tell she's a little bit annoyed and I'm like, hey, you know what? Things are working out. I shouldn't be here anyway. So headed home early. We start heading uh, north on Highway 1 in Mexico and about 20 miles, maybe less, maybe 15 miles away from San Felipe is a military checkpoint. We pull into the military checkpoint. Uh, there's, you know, five military people there. There's nobody there. It's just kind of a, a covered space on the highway and you're you're instructed to slow down, see the federalities and keep moving forward if they want to ask to search your vehicle, then they go ahead and pull you out. And normally in most circumstances, I'm never really, like I have nothing to hide, so I'm not worried about it. I get out of the car, they have like a little snack station off to the side. So I talk to the guy in my broken Spanish. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, check it out. There's, you know, whatever. He's like, he says something in Spanish, like, let me check the car. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And it's typical for what they do. You know, they kind of look around the car, you check the console, whatever. And so I walk over to the snack shack as I turn around. I hear my buddy Brant like, oh man, Bill, Bill, we got a problem. And I turn around, I'm like, what's the deal? And then I see the military guy's got his kind of gun up on his shoulder and he's like yelling at another guy in Spanish and things are kind of crazy. And I come walking back over to the truck and they had opened my glove box door. And much to my surprise, my Glock 40 was in my glove box. Immediately, as soon as that happens, all the blood rushes to my head, and all I'm thinking is, that's not supposed to be there. And then I start to verbalize it. This is not supposed to be here. I didn't. I, I know guns are not allowed in Mexico. I checked my truck before I left, where I typically keep my pistol. And for the next few days, I'm, I'm going over in my head, why is the pistol in there? What's going on? Because now I'm hyper-focused on this, and, and now I'm feeling this sense of trouble, right? And so immediately, I, I start saying, like, you know, I'm sorry. You know, lo siento, lo siento, yo no quiero. Uh, I said, you take it, take it. I'll pay the fine now, whatever. You know, like, here, just take the gun and let me pay the fine. So they obviously pull us out of the truck. They have me open up open up the pistol to show them. I drop the clip out of it, and I empty the, I empty the rounds out of the clip so they can count the rounds, put it back in a box. It's back and forth, and it's super confusing at the time because these guys, it doesn't seem like they know what they're doing, and... Um, it's just super confusing. I'm in a full-on panic at this time. I could tell that they were, like, there was no negotiating. There was nothing going on. It's just, like, wait for whoever's coming to come. And so I'm there at the checkpoint. Me and my buddies are there. Me and my two friends are there. And they're not very happy right now. And I'm like, oh, crap. They're like, what's going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. Hopefully I can just pay a fine and we can get out of here. But now they're waiting for a a chief or a colonel or someone to come up with higher ranking. So now another pickup truck pulls up and in Mexico the pickup trucks are like a they're like a, a sand beige color and they've got maybe some digital camo or something on them and then they have a roll cage in the back and there's benches in the bed of the truck because two guys will be up front and then six guys will be in the back with the with the uh, you know air 15s or whatever they'll all be just kind of posted up as they go down the highway and so after about an hour the guy comes over trying to read me my rights I'm using Google Translate to try to translate what they're saying it's not coming through Clearly, um, I'm getting super nervous at this point. I'm like, oh man, like you get that feeling in your gut, like, oh crap, what is, what has happened here? Like, I gotta figure out, you know, hopefully 
I still have this optimism that something's going to happen because no one has placed me in handcuffs yet. So my impression is that I'm not being arrested, that they're, they're going to work this out. The one guy's telling me, uh, Santiago, which is the officer that you know found the pistol, and he's like, you know, take it easy. Don't be like, he sees my face that I'm super nervous and he's telling me kind of calm down. And I'm a little bit concerned at this point. And I'm not even thinking to text Megan because I don't know how big of a problem this is at this point. And the next level guy shows up in another truck. And then they have my friends ride in the back of my truck in the back seat of my crew cab pickup while um, two military guys drive my truck and trailer and then I get in the back of the pickup truck, so it's me and like five guys in the back of a pickup truck, five guys with AR-15s. I'm not handcuffed still at this point, and I'm just sitting in the bed, I have my phone, I'm starting to take selfies, I'm taking a video, and that's when I send you the first video. So what's the first video you see from me and what's, what's happening? You're driving in that vehicle, and I just see all like a few guards behind you with guns. Um, and you, at this point, still don't really know what's happening. You make it sound like it's like, oh, they're just taking me and I'm going to pay a fine. So I'm still, in my head, I'm still thinking like, okay, they're taking him to some office somewhere. Right, because in, in gonna... the past, when we uh, allegedly ran a stop sign in uh, in Valley de Trinidad, you remember what happened with that, right? Mm-hmm. We followed them to the police station and right. they took you in there and probably had you in there for 30 minutes and made you pay... Mm-hmm. What, $75, $100, and then they let you go. He's probably just going to have to pay a hefty fine for the gun, and they're going to let him go. Right. And so I now ride in the back of this pickup truck for 80-plus miles, and um, and then I'm now pulling up my text messages that I sent to Megan. I text her a picture of me, and she texts me and says, let me know if you're good, please. Everything okay? I said, we'll see. Can you send me one picture of of my concealed carry permit? Mm-hmm. So she sends me. She says, "How are you?" I said, "They're arresting me and taking me to Mexicali. I'll find out what happens then." She says, "No way." I said, "Yes." How will I know what to do? I said, "I don't know. I still have my phone." And then I sent you the picture of me in the back of the truck with the the federales. Mm-hmm. And then your response is, "This is not okay. I'm losing my mind." Mm-hmm. So, and I said, I'll let you know. And you said, please ASAP. And then where's Brent? I said, he's in my truck with the Federales. She says, are you nervous? And I said, yes. The guy here is telling me it may not be too bad. I might surrender the pistol and pay a fine. You said, do I need to call anyone or just wait to hear from you? I said, maybe get a hold of American consulate at Mexicali. And you said, are you able to send a picture of your passport? And so I grab a picture of my passport, and then I send that to you. And so this is going over the span of like from 1.30 to 2.15. And then I send her my location. The next picture I send you after that is 6.20 p.m. And I said, just waiting. You said, love you so much. And I said, they will be holding me. And you said, how long? I should have come. I found a Florida permit, trying to get a hold of uh, your brother-in-law, who's an attorney and served a mission in Mexico, so he speaks Spanish. And then I told you I talked to my friend Porter here in town, who's an attorney, like a like a personal injury attorney, mm-hmm. and he's trying to locate somebody. And then we're going back and forth, and like, do you have a number? And I'm like, yeah. And then I said, they're currently saying, so this is, at, this is now 8 o'clock at night. And I said, they're currently saying two weeks at the absolute soonest. 
that's the last text message that I send you mm-hmm. at eight oh six p.m. And then you don't have your phone anymore. And then my phone is gone. Right. So. And I think that when it when it became real to me is mm-hmm. when I said, "Are you nervous?" And you said yes. And then I knew, like, if you're nervous, then it's serious. Like that's when I right. knew. That last text message of two weeks and then nothing, like MIA. I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> what now? <laughs> so at this point, what's been taking place over from 2 o'clock to 8 o'clock is they've had me sitting out in front of the Federale's place for some reason I can't understand. And I think in hindsight, the reason why is because when you get arrested in Mexico, you have 40 hours to see the judge. And I think that they're, they looked at the next available time for court. And they were not going to bring me in to arrest me, quote unquote, like actually book me until it was within 48 hours of the next court date. So this is in hindsight, I can understand this now. Because the whole time I'm sitting outside, I'm thinking I'm probably going home because if they were going to arrest me, they would already have me arrested. So for six hours, I'm kind of sitting there. There's like federales all around me, but I'm just kind of freely walking around and thinking that I'm probably going home, you know, this is a formality, this is super weird that all these federales are here. So I go inside for my first meeting and I tell them that it's my gun, that my buddies, they got nothing to do with it. And they said, well, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Let's bring you upstairs and let's get some paperwork filled out. So they start filling out some paperwork. I go back downstairs still don't understand really what's going on. And they said, well, let's go park your truck in the back in the impound. You know, the soonest we'll get you out of here is probably in the next two weeks. You got to see the judge and then maybe we can get you out of here in two weeks is what they said to me at the soonest. And so now I'm realizing like this is a pretty serious deal. So now I have to drive my truck with the federale and then this quote unquote translator in the car with me. I drive around the block and then pull into the back and it's super, super tight. Like, it was a whole ordeal just to get my truck and rig and everything parked in there. And so now the translator is telling me, hey, anything that you don't want to really have stolen or any of that kind of stuff, you might want to put it inside your truck right now. So in my uh, side-by-side, I've got some stuff, but not a lot of crazy stuff. But in my in, inside my truck, I've got my other laptop. I've got GoPro cameras. I've got an iPad Pro. I've got my Surface Pro for work. I mean, it's like it's like a Best Buy in there full of electronics, like chargers and battery packs and just all kinds of stuff, right? So uh, I put all that stuff in my truck thinking, okay, this is going to be secure. Shoot, I'm going to be here for a couple of weeks. My, I talked to my buddies. I'm like, dude, you guys got to get out of here. They're letting you go. My one, my friend Brent's like, no, we're going to stay with you. I said, you need to get out of here. They're letting you go, go. They're telling me they're going to keep me for probably two weeks. Uh, I got to go see the judge in a couple of days. We'll see what happens then. They take me, they book me, take my photographs, they take my belt, they take my shoelaces. And now they put me into a cell. There's three cells in the bottom of this federal building that is kind of like a basement. They're just just cells with uh, a toilet and two concrete bunks. And they're about, you know, 10 feet by 10 feet squared. And I'm sitting there and all I can think in my head is like, holy crap, what do I do? How do I get out of this? Because now they finally took my phone. And I should have known. And so, like, I'm, and before they booked me, like, they're, they're like, okay, we'll put all your personal belongings in this manila envelope. They hand me a manila envelope. And then I grab the envelope from the bottom and I feel there's something in there. So I flip it over and somebody's chain falls out. So I'm thinking, well, that's great. The last person that had something in this manila envelope didn't get that back. 
So now I take my credit cards, my cell phone, my cash out of my pocket. I probably have $700 in US, and I've got $300 in uh, pesos. Now they just put me in this room, uh, in this holding cell. And so there's three holding cells in a larger room that maybe has 10 feet in front of it. There's a single toilet in there and a sink. The water in my particular cell is just running nonstop. Uh, so it's all I can hear, plus all the surrounding noise from everything else happening around there. And so now I've got to be in here starting now for 48 hours. So it's not a full day till 8 p.m. the next night and then another full day. So I'm technically there for three days now at this point because the first day I get arrested, which is Tuesday. So because I'm there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So I'm just in there and for the next three, four hours, I'm just going over in my head like, how could I have avoided it? What could I have done for this to be different? How did the gun get there? And then I start to realize two weeks prior, uh, there was a situation in our house and I kind of went looking to see for some people that were messing with something on my property. And I'd taken my pistol with me for just backup, just in case. And I was just gonna try to track this car down and then call the police. And I didn't find the car and headed back to my house later that week. And I have a concealed carry permit to carry a pistol wherever. I hardly ever carry it, but I just have it for personal protection and whatnot. And so I go back, you know, park the truck that night, two weeks before I leave. I'm somewhere with a buddy of mine. I open my armrest. There's my pistol. And I said, here, man, open the glove box and put that in there. Now, mind you, my glove box never has anything. It's got the owner's manual and that's it. It's too far for me to reach. And that's now how I figure out that my pistol is in my glove box. So as they take me in the room before they book me and they're talking to me, they say some things to me and they said to me, well, you know, we've got some problems here. So now now my legal name is Vasilios. So everybody's calling me Vasilios now. So they said, well, Vasilios, this is a serious problem. Uh, the pistol that you have is military grade and you cannot pay a fine. I said, well, the guy out there told me I could pay a fine and just leave. He says, you cannot pay a fine because it is military grade and you have to see the judge. So you have to be here for 48 hours till you see the judge. So I'm like, okay, well, this is lame, right? So as they continue talking, they said, but what's your freedom worth? I said, what do you mean? He said, 10,000. 20,000, 30,000. And so I said, well, instinctively, I thought to myself, I don't know, I can put together maybe 3,500 bucks or $5,000, you know, like what, what can we do here? And so he then, you know, looks back at the DA, the DA looks at me, the DA, DA looks at him, kind of gives him a half head nod, yes, no. And as I'm sitting there, another person walks in the room who's an attorney Apparently, and they said, you want a public defender? You probably don't want a public defender. You know, this guy behind you here, I don't recall what his name was. He's a pretty good attorney, so you can hire him and he'll represent you. And in hindsight, that would probably been the most expedient way for me to go. And I didn't know what was going on, so I said, yeah, sure. Is he included in the five grand? Because I'm thinking we've negotiated this for five grand. And they're being a bit ambiguous. They mentioned to me, and I said, well, why, why does it have to cost? He says, well, the minimum charge for this sentence is four years. For us to be able to get you out sooner, we have to do some things that are not legal. So because of that, it's just gonna cost money for that to happen. So I'm like, okay, no problem. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe they're extorting me right now. Like, I can't even believe this is really happening. So after that, they booked me, put me in the cell, and I'm just sitting over there for the next couple of days, just going crazy in my mind. Now, what is happening at your part now, Megan? So it's 
eight o'clock that night, you realize you're not going to be able to speak to me again. Who do you start calling? What do you start doing? Well, my first call was Porter because that's what you told me to do. I called him and he really didn't know. He said he would make some phone calls. Uh, The next morning when I wake up, Chuck and Brad both call me really early in the morning. And they're telling me that I need to pull out $75,000 out of the bank. They're asking me, do you have this money? You need to pull it out just in case this is going to be expensive. And I'm thinking, you've lost your mind. What are you kidding? Are you kidding me? $75,000? And they're like, just pull it out just in case, just to have it. And so I'm planning to do that. And it's funny thinking back on it now, like I got, Ronnie had sent me just like a link. I think she had just looked online of like, if somebody you know is arrested in Mexico and she pulled up somebody that was out of, I think Chino Mm -hmm. or something. And it was like a a legitimate website. It looked really professional. And so I thought, well, I'll call and just see. And this guy's like, yeah, I can, I can take the case. It's going to be $25,000. And I'm thinking, oh no. And I'm like, okay, well, let me get back to you. And I talked to Porter again. I think it was Porter. And he's like, that sounds crazy. That sounds way, way too much. I think that's just too much. And I'm like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And so I told the guy, never mind. And looking back on it now, I'm like, he's probably done this a lot. And he probably could have like made it happen quickly for that much. But I just didn't know what I was doing at that point. And so then I'm hooked up with a lawyer through a girlfriend of one of the guys who was on the trip with you. The next day, I go to the bank, and I'm going to take out $75,000, like Chuck and Brad told me to. Mm -hmm. And I'm on the phone with this gal, and she's like, okay, we found somebody, and he wants $25,000 cash delivered to him. And so I'm able to pull out forty dollars at the bank that day. That's all they had. Mm -hmm. And I was planning to go back and get the rest like the next week. And I'm like, okay, $25,000 I can do. Now, interestingly enough... We're not loaded where we've got tons of money laying around and right. stuff like that. We just have to be lucky. Not mm-hmm. lucky, but we had just sold our cabin recently, and we had money in the bank that was now earmarked for putting into a new house that we're trying to build and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, So we had a little bit of cash because of the sale of the cabin. So Right, and Brad, Chuck and Brad were both like, if you can't, like, we can help you. Like, If you need like... You right. Know, so much like we'll chip in and like you can just pay us back or whatever. And so this would now be Wednesday because Tuesday I get arrested. So Wednesday, Wednesday you're doing all this. Wednesday I'm doing all this. Mm-hmm. We make a plan to head out Thursday. We're going to meet this lawyer Thursday and pay him this $25,000. Granted, at this time, I didn't know that it was you can't legally cross the border with more than $10,000. Right. There's a sign up at the border that says if you have more than $10,000 cash and you have to declare it. Right. So then we're like, well, then we need like more than one person, like so right. that one person can declare. So, I've so got- now we need to smuggle money across the border, <laughs> right. which is already like completely unnerving knowing what would happen. Because honestly, if they stop you and catch you with that cash, they'll take it. Right. They'll take it, and they might arrest you saying that you're moving money for the drug cartel. Yeah, and so that night, Wednesday night, knowing that I'm leaving Thursday, I'm thinking, well, who can – I don't want to go alone. Right. Who can go with me? And my dad's like, well, I can go, you know, whatever. And I started thinking, well, I'm going to ask Jane, my girlfriend Jane, because she – I think she could probably do it, and it would mm-hmm. be good to have that support. And she's really like a like a go-getter. Oh, like, yeah. Like she, she's a strong she woman. Like volunteers for the right Red in. Cross. She goes right. to all kinds of disasters around the country constantly just to volunteer and help. And so she's used to... She's a high-stress Yeah, situations. she can manage stress quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. 
So she says she can do it. She makes arrangements and she's going to go with me. And then neither one of us speaks Spanish. And we have a couple of friends of Bill's, Paris and um, Chris. Right. That I ask and they They've agreed are willing. to go with They've you. They've agreed to come with us. Now, Wednesday, simultaneously, while this is happening, I wake up in the cell and for the whole night of Tuesday night, I've been going over in my head, like, what do I need to do? I finally talk myself down to like, stop thinking like, what could you have done? Because that doesn't matter. All that matters is how do you go home now? And so I'm, I, I come to the epiphany that this is about money. They just want money. They just want money. And so the guy comes in to see me the next day, the transitor, and he says, Mr. Vasilios, how are you doing? And I'm like, not good. What do we need to do, man? He's like, nothing. We're just waiting to go to court. I said, what is the price to leave today? And he tells me, there's no price to leave today. You have to go to court tomorrow. So now you're preparing to do, to get all that. You've got, you pulled some cash out of the bank that you're going to take down to Mexico to go meet with this attorney. You've got two of my friends that are going with you that speak Spanish and Jane. Mm -hmm. So there's four of you that are going to take the six-hour drive from here to Mexicali. Right. And the rush is that we know that it's Wednesday evening that you have your first court date. So we've got to be there Wednesday evening. Tuesday, what, Thursday. Oh, Thursday, right. Thursday evening. So we yeah. make plans to leave 4.30 a.m. on Thursday. Now, since I got arrested, and I, I never asked this question before, did anyone ever contact you from the jail or anything like that? No. Nobody? No. So the only last, last conversation we had was like me like, hey, babe, goodbye. Yeah. That's it. And then the only other phone calls you get are from people that aren't there that were like... That just knew about the situation. So now my friends, Brent, mm -hmm. when did he? When did you see him next? I didn't see him. So him and Leonard drove in Thursday evening While you and were I in was Mexico. already gone. Got it. So they had stopped by the house, I believe, to like... He yeah. wanted to see me, but I think I was already gone. Yeah, so because happened. Tuesday... So and, and with what happened with the two guys that were with me... Their story got super intense because these are two of the whitest white guys you ever met. Not a lick of Spanish between the two of them. And for them to get across the border was just an ordeal. One guy's an ornery cuss, and he's got no patience for anything. And the cab driver can't really communicate well with them. They're trying to get to the border. They get they get they finally get across the border. They get to the, the border city, Calexico. There's no available rental cars. Then they go to El Centro, no available rental cars or a truck stop. They end up sleeping on a bench at a truck stop for the night. The next morning they get up because all the rental car places were closed. Next morning they get up to rent a car. No cars available. They finally break down and rent a U-Haul truck on Wednesday afternoon and drive drive home Wednesday, I think is when they did. I think they, did they Wednesday. come? Yeah, so they, they drove there So I think Wednesday. I just wasn't home. I was right. probably getting, the, like I was just right. getting the money or whatever I was. So they, so, so they had a whole ordeal just trying to get home because there was no rental cars available. Like it was just a whole situation. So that's what's going on with them. And now it's Thursday morning and you're deciding to leave. What time do you leave? From we leave at 4.30 a.m. We meet Chris in Paris at the gas station. And then they're in a different car, and they we just follow them. Um, we're about halfway to Calexico, and I get a phone call from my contact. This is lawyer. before I called you? Correct. To the lawyer in Mexicali. She said that she doesn't have a good feeling about this lawyer. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm halfway to Calexico now with $25,000 cash. Now, have you been staying pretty cool this whole time, like not freaking out, not crying, not like... For the most part, because I have a plan. Because like you're just I'm, like, I just got to get this. We got to do it. Done. Right. right. We're just doing it. Mm -hmm. And even then, like, I didn't 
I didn't start like getting emotional. I was just like kind of panicked. Like, well, what's plan B? Like that mm -hmm. was my plan was to go pay this guy. How soon after that takes place do I call? Mm -hmm. I'm like, Megan, hey, what's going on? Because I'm going to court in an hour. Right. And you're like, I was just, we were just coming down. I have 25,000 in cash. And then when you start saying that, I start trying to talk over you because I've convinced these guys I can put together maybe five grand. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking like, crap, she's going to say 25 grand. Like we're going to have an issue. They're going to keep, you know. And so yeah. I'm trying to talk over you. And I'm like, well, we're going to court in an hour. And then, so like, how soon is that? Like, where are you when I call you? I must have still been on the U.S. side of the border at that point. Yeah, because I thought you, I, well, yeah, you said we're, you're trying to figure out how to get across the border right now. Yeah. You were going to meet a guy, but that's not working out. That's so working. you've got someone else coming to meet you. Mm -hmm. You're waiting on them, and then you're going to come to court. Right. So this other attorney that we were hooked up with, she came into Calexico, picked me and Jane up in her car. Mm-hmm. And I ended up sending the bulk of the mo money back home with Chris in Paris. And they just went home from there? they just went home from there. Okay. Yep. So Jane and I cross the border. We go directly to the courthouse. Mm -hmm. And we're literally like 30 minutes before you walk in with the public defender, I guess, or whoever you had. Right. The, the guy that the DA had given me. Yeah. And so then it was a whole thing of like, this new attorney had to go in and like, tell that guy that he wasn't representing you anymore and she was going to be representing you. While wow, you guys were all doing that. Meanwhile, I haven't showered in three days. I'm still wearing my, my, like my Dickies shirt, my jeans and my Vans with no laces. You know, I got my leather skate highs. I haven't taken a shower in, in the three days that I'm in the holding cell. It's like, I'm going crazy. I'm sick to my stomach. I could hardly even eat. I mean, I was just like distraught. In the holding cell, the finally the time that I decide to use the restroom, it's like, that's really uncomfortable for me because it's like, you're just exposed in front of everybody. And then the, you can't flush the toilet. They flush the toilet outside of the cell. So I asked the guy to flush the toilet. And he goes, to, he's got these foot pedals outside that he flushes for each bathroom. And as he flushes it, I'm looking at it and nothing goes down the drain because the connecting pipe on the top of the toilet is broken. So every time you push it, it just starts putting water in the room. So I'm like, yeah, this is a huge waste. Meanwhile, the food they gave me to eat was like these little meat things. It was like some kind of stringy meat and they put it in a microwave and heat it up. And during the time that I'm in the, in the cell for those couple days, uh, they give me one thing and the guys tell me like, we don't really have food for you, but here I got this. And it's like, tear it open, add hot water and then rehydrate the beef. And then I took like two little bites of it and I gave it to the dude next door to me. And it's so quiet, all you can do is just hear this guy next door slurping and licking the thing. And uh, for a day and a half, I was in that holding cell by myself. And then the third day, they caught a bunch of people at the border, one guy smuggling drugs, another guy who had a, a, a moving van full of people. And so I had a room to myself for two days. And the last, that, that last day that I'm there, uh, you know, this one guy comes in, kind of heavy set, it's got a pretty good limp. And then I'm already on the first floor bunk and I'm just like there. And the guy's looking at me like he's going to struggle to get up because he's a bit overweight and whatnot. So I was just like, all right, I'll go up to the top bunk. Meanwhile, there's no blankets, no anything. It's just a concrete pad you're sleeping on. And uh, that was my experience there. So now I'm in the prison. I stink. I've got a super sensitive sense of smell and I can't take the way my clothes smell because I haven't showered in three days or any of this kind of stuff. So now that's when I call you, you tell me what's going on. And then I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? So now 
the plan is we're going to go to court and we're going to fire the attorney that they gave me. I get released out of the cell and the, the DA is taking me over there directly and I'm riding in the back seat of a Ford F-150 crew cab. Uh, I'm handcuffed and I can't, you know, it's super uncomfortable. And for them, they're waiting like last minute for everything. So like driving through all the stoplights and everything with their little sirens and all that stuff. We pull into the courthouse and there's like a, a gate outside, open the gate, gate closes behind us and they open the garage door. We pull inside the garage door, garage door closes behind us because we're prisoners. So then I go into a holding cell to wait for a few minutes. So now we go into court. It's all kinds of confusion. This other attorney starts talking to me and I'm like, no, I don't think we're using you. I think we're gonna use somebody else. And then the translator comes in, my new attorney comes in, I have to sign papers for the new attorney, which is the attorney that you brought. You can't come to court. You've got to watch everything from a separate room downstairs. But I am allowed like five minutes before to come in and see you. Is that, that, is that, yeah, is that when I saw you it was just before court? Just before court, I'm like five minutes. Yeah. And um, before all this is happening, it's like, I'm there, we're switching attorneys, and then I'm talking to the new attorney, and she says, listen, they violated your rights by this, by that, like illegal search, uh, you didn't speak Spanish, they didn't have a translator, so they never, you didn't understand your rights, and, you know, uh, we're gonna go ahead and uh, we're gonna fight it on that, and I said, well, listen, they also asked me for money, and the translator's translating for me, this lady translator, and she's like, oh, like, like shocker, right? That they're asking me for money. And she's like, oh no, she's like writing it down, whatever. So then we get a little bit of a break and then they bring you in. And that's the yeah. first time now that you see me. Right. And so the, I walk in and you're behind like, it's like a half wall mm -hmm. and it's what, glass and Well, it's just, it's, just a, it's metal. metal. Yeah, metal bars, metal like a bars. corrugated metal. Right. And the, the second I walk in there, like, you just start crying and you just start shaking your head. <laughs> and I remember the first thing you said was, I shouldn't be here. I'm a good man. I work so hard. And you're just, like, breaking down. It, it all happened so fast that neither one of us had much thought about what to talk about. Like, we were just kind of, like, you know, in shock. Like, we're seeing each other. Like, we didn't know, like to talk about what maybe the plan might be <laughs> because we were just... Right, it was just like, don't worry, I'm trying really hard to get you everything. I said, I know you are, you just it's not fair, I shouldn't be here, I don't understand why this is happening. You know, like I was I was really, you know, seeing you, like the whole time, I never, I, I never ever got emotional until I ever saw you or heard your voice. It would just rip through me and it would remind me of what my real life is like. So you come see me. Come see you. And then they have me leave, and they won't let me stay in the room and watch it, but they take right. me to a separate room, and it's just a TV on the wall with a chair, like literally a folding chair in the center of the room, and I just sit there, and there's like a guard in the back just watching to make sure I don't do anything, I guess. But right. So I just watch the whole trial from the TV, but I can't understand anything anyone says except for you when you're talking. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of pointless. And so can you, and, and so the interesting part is they sent her to the side because of the whole COVID. And I use air quotes with that stupid mm -hmm. COVID thing. Because meanwhile, I'm in a cell with no mask, no anything, no nothing, strange people, dirty people, whatever. It does not matter. There are 0, 0.0 COVID protocols in any of the, any of the holding cells, whatnot that I've been in up to this point. 
And so they won't let her in there because of some kind of COVID nonsense. So court starts and they're arguing my rights and the DA is getting up and he's like, yeah, this gun is military gun. And there's a lot of, almost like it was scripted, just a lot of unnecessary formalities that they're going through. Reading the reading the case, like reading the VIN number to my truck, to the trailer, to the Can-Am, to, to like, like almost just going so over the top with formalities. And then, um, you know, they're arguing for my rights. The judge doesn't look super concerned about anything. He's just face down making notes. And uh, then the attorney draws a little dollar sign on the paper and kind of slides it over to me and points to it. And I said, do you want me to talk about that? And so they're asking me, do I have anything to say? And I said, Your Honor, the only time that they ever got me a translator was when they asked me for money. And then I continued to repeat what they had told me when I was arrested, how much money, uh, we have to do some things that are illegal, all this kind of stuff. And in my head now, based on what the attorney's got me believing, I'm thinking at this point, they're going to slam the gavel and I am going home. Like they have got the wrong American, they have violated his rights, and he is out of here. Meanwhile, as I'm locked in stare at the judge while he's looking down with his little mask on, I'm thinking like, this guy's not even flinching. Like, oh crap. By the time I'm done saying what I'm saying, I'm realizing I probably shouldn't have said that because this guy doesn't care. And now all I've done is just made the guy, my only ticket out of here, probably made that guy mad. So then this guy, the prosecutor gets up and he's not happy. What happens after I give my testimony, the judge says, well, you know, like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what he says, but I know my attorney says, Your Honor, we took this case on such short notice. We'd like to reconvene and, and try to pitch this again to you since they could tell it wasn't going their direction. So this judge said, okay, do you want 24, 48, or 140 hours? And I'm thinking in my head, say 24, say 24. My next step is I'm going to prison. They're like, we'll do 140 hours. Crap, five freaking days, I gotta be in jail, five days? Mm -hmm. So now what is happening to you after they say five days and we'll come back to court? What's your experience now at that point? Right, so I'm in this room, through this whole thing, Jane's just waiting in the front. Like she just did so much waiting. But we're told that the next hearing's gonna be the following Tuesday and that was Thursday. The next day, Friday, we go back across the border to meet with Sarah mm -hmm. so that she can tell us what to do and what to expect. Um, that's the attorney. She tells us to go back and to gather everything positive that we can come up with showing you to be an honest man, an upstanding man in your community, letters of recommendation, a business owner, service in the church, service projects that you did. we've done in San Felipe, just everything good, right? Because that's right. how they're going to approach this case. And so Jane and I drive back to Vegas on Saturday to gather all of these documents. I think we ended up gathering like 80, and that mm -hmm. would have been like overnight. So a lot of people were like... Love you. And they're on it. They're just like, yeah, absolutely. We'll speak for him. And so I spent all day Saturday just gathering all of that stuff. And luckily, my brother, Brady, was in town. And so he helped me, like, organize all of the letters and organize all the pictures from all the years that we'd gone to San Felipe. Like, we were just trying to show you, like, who you were. Um, now, looking back, that was completely not necessary. <laughs> like, none of that mattered. Well, and I, and I think in hindsight, I think the first attorney, her plan was that she was going to get me out without me having to pay any kind of fine or not fine, but like any extortion or any of that kind of stuff. But she, I think, and I think she was willing to trade time for it. Yeah. 
you know. Mm -hmm. So we go to Vegas Saturday. I gather everything. We turn right back around on Sunday and drive back because I'm told I'm going to get to see you on Monday. Your hearing's supposed to be Tuesday. So we make the trip Sunday, and then Monday comes, and it says, I never did get to see Bill, which I had tons of those. This was, this was just the beginning. But it was constantly, like, promises that were broken, like, just, like, hopes up and then shattered, like, all along the way for the whole so 15 after, days. So now, because I know you were quite distraught mm -hmm. after this. When did you really start emotionally breaking down, like, once they were keeping me for five days? We still had this hope of, like, okay, Five more days, we'll just get through this five days and it'll be cool. Because I'm thinking, I'm getting out in five days. I'm thinking, well, they got to come back with the with, with whatever they got to do mm -hmm. and they'll get me out in five days, right? So yeah. at this point, after that court date, are you okay emotionally going home and all that stuff? After or, the first one? Yeah, uh, after the first one. Yeah, yeah. Because you're I, busy. You've got a list of things you're going to do to get me out. Right, yes. I have a plan. There's a plan in motion. And I'm really feeling good about this attorney. She's super helpful. Really nice. Really nice, like doing all the things. Um, she gives us a list of items to get for you because we have to provide everything for oh, you. Oh, the clothing the and clothing all that stuff for the prison, yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So she sends us on a shopping trip. Jane and I buy everything that we can. It's a lot of specific things that you have to have. Yeah, the list is like gray sweatpants, it's gray t-shirt, gray underwear, white socks, um, white vans or white no lace slip on shoes, um, mm -hmm. a blanket, um, a foam pad if you can get get one, and I don't know what else, but I know you had you had a picture of like the the whole. Yeah, it gives you a picture of everything. Said. And Monday's the day that I was told I was going to get to see you, but we mm -hmm. ended up spending Monday just getting all of your supplies because she kept saying there's a one-time drop, like you get a one-time opportunity to deliver all of this stuff. And then you're going to have to wait to start delivering things. Does that right. make sense? I don't know. It's kind of Yeah, because they have one day where they'll give you your stuff. One day a month, they'll give you your stuff. If somebody brings it in, they bring it in the day after they gave it. You got to wait another month until you get the stuff. Right. So we bought all the stuff and then almost none of it was what you could have. Mm -hmm. Like she brought it in and then she brought it all back out. We were waiting outside the gel and she's like, no, this stuff's none of this is going to work. Like maybe this, but not this, but not this. And she's like, the shoes are the most important thing. Like, he needs to have these white slip-on vans mm -hmm. because that's the only shoes he can wear. Otherwise, you're going to be wearing your flip-flops or whatever, you know? And so we spent that entire evening. We went to, like, six or eight shoe stores to try and find your size in those shoes, and we couldn't find them anywhere. And it was, like, she's like, we've got to get him these shoes. And she finally found a place, Sarah, that had them, but it was across town, and they closed at 8.30, and she had to pick up her daughter at like 8 o'clock, and it was a, it was like a 25-minute drive. Anyway, she's driving like crazy, like running stop signs and just trying to get us to the shoe store, and it was closed by the time we got there. And it was like, we're like outside the shoe store, the doors are closed inside a mall, and we're knocking on the glass like, medicine <laughs> right and finally the girl that works there peeks her head around and she's like we're closed and sarah was kind of like like gave her like the please look and she actually let us in and then let us buy those shoes mm -hmm. and i remember thinking like just crying like <laughs> and we're paying for them and i'm just like thank you so much and just like crying that i've got these shoes for you just like little things like that along the way that were it felt so hard and then 
we were blessed with getting what we needed for you at the and, last minute. And this is Monday. This is Monday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from that point till Monday, I, I've got quite a wild ride of leaving the courthouse. So I left the courthouse. I come in through the prison, go through the typical booking process. I, I'm in I'm in line, and there's two other guys in there with me. One of the guys' name is uh, Yvonne. I, we ended up all going to the same first temporary cell together for the first seven days. Every every mid-sized Mexican there is grabbing the largest jumpsuit possible, and then by the time I grab an orange jumpsuit, because they strip me down to just my underwear and my socks, and the one I happen to grab, that there's no zipper on the front. There's just three drawstrings on it. And so um, I put that on, and it's about a size, size and a half too small. So the drawstrings are just like barely holding together. So you can just see my belly and all the stuff through the opening in that. And I'm sitting here with two guys to my right. We're getting booked. There's two girls to the left. And in the Mexican prison, every time a girl walks by or there's a female officer or whatever, you have to stand up, face the wall, look away you know, or whatever the case is, except for in, in booking. And like, we're sitting there getting booked in and you know, they, they don't just take your fingerprints, they take your fingerprints, the side of your hand, their palm, like everything. And they they just give you, they have like soap and water mixed up in like a, a Coke bottle. Like everything there's repurposed. You know, everything's in an old Coke bottle and they shake it up and it's got bleach and some soap in it and they squirt it on your hands. And then you take the scrap paper, like scrap copier paper. And that's what you use to kind of wash your hands with. So. Um, as I'm getting booked in, it's me, these three guys that are with me, and then I go in the hall. Now we're with another group of guys, and the group just keeps getting a little bit bigger. And I'm still in disbelief. I'm just like, in my head, all I'm thinking is like, I got to get through the next five days. I got to get through the next five days. So, you know, and luckily, everywhere I go, somebody speaks a little bit of English. Just the inmates and stuff. None of the, none of the workers are speaking English. And so I'm talking... They said, who wants to take a shower? And so I was like, I need to take a shower. So now they march me and a couple of the guys. And I remember Yvonne was one of the guys. So we walked down this hallway. There's like no lights in this hallway, but it's like, it looks like little bedrooms on either side. Come to find out later, that was like the conjugal hall. We get to the end of the conjugal hall and there's like a small room, maybe eight by eight, that's got two half walls in it. And it's got like showers up against the wall. But the shower is just a pipe coming out of the wall with no shower head on it. I would say probably about 11 or 12 at night at this point, and it's freezing. It's not freezing cold, but the water when I get to the shower. And the first thought I have in my head, like, well, I guess I'm probably going to be naked in front of a lot of people at this point, so there's no need in being bashful at this point. And, I, and I'm to the point where I just want to take a shower. So off comes the orange jumpsuit, my chonies and my socks, and then I just kind of walk into this stream of ice-cold water which freezes me about to death, but I'm just thankful to get in the water and try to rinse off. And now I'm looking for soap and I keep asking the guy for soap and I don't know how to say soap in Spanish. And so like the guy points and I'm, I'm feeling across the top of this wall and I grab like some remnant of a bar of soap and try to get some kind of lather. But the dude's yelling at me the whole time, like, hurry, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. Like you have two minutes to take a shower, you know? So it's like, I just try to wash up as best I can just to get, just to get some sort of clean, right? And then obviously no towel, it's not, it's not the four seasons. So it's like, there I am wet and I put, I just put the jumpsuit back on, you know, put all my clothes back on over being wet. Now my hair's wet. And so there's quite a few of us at this point. I think there was 18 of us. They walk us over to uh, the lockup where they, just before you enter the building, and there's just a huge pile of gray sweats. 
and gray t-shirts and they're like get your size and so I went to grab you know of course all the little guys grab all the big stuff they're all wearing huge big saggy pants and there I am getting a pair of stretchy pants that are like size medium that I'm stretching over myself they've got a big blot in the backside but I don't care at this point I'm just like I just need some pants these are fine you know I had my socks which was like my saving grace I had some thick wool socks like you know winter socks which was good because I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a little tenderfoot and I'm not a big guy to be walking outside on the asphalt through all this stuff. So we get there. I, I, I get on a T-shirt, long sleeve T-shirt. I mean, every, all the clothes, I have a super sensitive sense of smell. All the clothes stink. Like everything's just like clean-ish, like they washed it, but it just stinks. So I put on the gray uh, pants and the gray shirt and there's a pile of blankets. You can grab a blanket and the blankets are all various shapes, colors, and sizes. So I grab a blanket, everybody else grabs a blanket, they march us all to cell. It's first floor cell 307. We get put in that cell the first night and it's like right out of the gate, there's 18 of us in the cell. It's a six person cell and it's a temporary holding cell for a week. Now they just changed it. It used to be, I come to find out that it used to be, because of COVID, you used to be down there for 21 days. Now they just release it to seven days to be in there, and it stinks. It's not clean, smells like urine. It's just nasty. It's just rusted bunks, concrete floor, pony wall with a dirty toilet and a dirty sink, and it's nasty. Is this before your nasty. second hearing? This is before my second hearing, okay. so I'm now in the temporary holding cell, and oddly enough, everybody, there's they're just it's a camaraderie there, um, you know, because we're all prisoners at this point, and couple just kind of loudmouth guys some you know and the guys are drunk some guys are high you know everybody's kind of detoxing off what they're there for and the first night everybody's just like ready to go to bed and so a lot of guys double up on the bunks that's 12 guys up on the bunk two guys sleep under the bunks so that's eight guys and then the the rest of us sleep you know front to back between the two bunks and two guys take their blankets and they lay them down over the concrete and then the, me and another guy, we take our blankets and then we're kind of stretching our blankets over. And I remember on the end, and I'm facing the back of the cell, like the pony wall that cover, that hides the toilet and the sink is probably three feet in front of me. And I'm laying on my side and I'm thinking to myself like, well, this will probably make a good podcast. I think I'll title, the, I kept thinking to myself, the title of this one's going to be, I hope you like the smell of piss. Because it just smelled like rank urine, and I'm just thinking to myself like I'm I, I'm I'm almost having an out of body experience. And I'm thinking like I can't believe that I'm right here right now doing this, right? But I'm exhausted, and so and some guys are talking, and one guy next to me, this guy Roberto, he got in a car accident. He was drinking or something, and he hit a parked police officer and was hurt bad. Like he's he's literally like groaning and moaning every time he was like, ah, I can't, I'm just like, bro, are you okay? And he speaks English because he grew up like in Riverside, then he wasn't legal, so he got deported. Now he's been in Mexico for the past couple of years. And like the similar story goes, like these guys grow up in the States, they get deported to Mexico, and then they come to Mexico, then they get on drugs. And so he comes in, uh, you know, he, this dude, this poor guy is just beat up from the feet up, man. Every time he moves, he's groaning and aching and whatever. And literally, he's like just groaning in his sleep. And some guy's getting mad he's groaning, like telling him to shut up. And like, it's a whole scene. And I'm just like, I just got to go to bed. So my pillow is my elbow, my arm. I fold it underneath my arm. And um, I, what's funny is I look at the creature comforts of like a couple years back, you and I switched sides of the bed because sleeping on my right side was causing me some shoulder grief. 
And so after 20 years of being married, we switched sides of the bed so I could sleep on the other side. All right, well, now I'm sleeping on the concrete, right? So now I'm sleeping on the concrete. About the middle of the night, the first night, I remember a guy gets up on the second bunk. He's making a bunch of commotion. One dude has got a cough, like he's got something serious. Um, the place smells nasty as could be. So I'm pretty sure, like, you know, this is a filthy, funky place, and something's, somebody's going to get something over here. So this guy gets up, and he's detoxing, and so he's on the middle bunk, and he just starts vomiting. And the vomit just goes on the dude below him. The dude below him cusses him out and then rolls over and goes to sleep. This guy kind of wipes off the bunk a little bit. And then this guy goes to sleep. And I'm waking up thinking like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe I'm really here. I'm just kind of in disbelief at this point. Like, I can't even believe I'm really here. Like, and that dude just vomited on that guy. And I'm thinking like, well, here's going to be a fight. And then there's no fight. Everybody just goes right back to sleep. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. So the next morning we get up and uh, it's just super weird. We all get booked in. The next morning it's like, go through who's here for what, what. Oh, this guy doesn't speak English. Oh, this guy. And everybody wants to talk about your case. Like, what's he here for? Oh, he's here. They call it Arma. He's here for Arma. Yeah, yeah, 40 caliber. Oh, yeah. And then one guy's like, oh, yeah, big trouble. You're in big trouble. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not trying to hear that I'm in big trouble, bro. I'm trying to hear like positive, optimistic stuff. And right out of the gate, I can tell the guys that are in the cell, there's like a hierarchy out of the gate. And Yvonne, who I made friends with, like right out of the gate, he's like the young guy, but he's like a cell, he's like the cell leader, doesn't speak much English. I kind of dubbed him the cell boss because he was the guy quick to be like, hey, you guys need to do this, this, and this. And don't let the big guy sleep on the floor, man. Give him that bunk over there. And so he and I get to talking and uh, I find out he's, he's in construction. He's a supervisor. He's in there for beating up a guy for money for somebody. Um, I made a list of what everybody was there for and all the names of everybody in the cell because, you know, while I'm there for a couple of days and everybody's like, what are you here for? What are you doing? Okay, maybe you'll get out. You know, everybody's got kind of their story, right? So um, this is the names of some of the guys in the first cell, right? So uh, Julio Caesar, he goes by Elefante, uh, like Elephant. Him and uh, another guy, Julio Caesar, like their buddies, this dude says, I'm like, what are you here for? He's like, I like crack, you know? And so he's, he had some issues. The other guy named Julio Caesar is the guy that looked just like Vin Diesel. He's there because he stabbed his wife. They got in a fight and he stabbed his wife. And uh, Yvonne was there. And then uh, Arturo was there. Oh, no, Armando. I'm trying to remember my handwriting. Armando was the trucker. He was a little dude, curly hair. And apparently he got, he was there because he had done something 16 years before and never got caught and they finally caught him. Uh, dude named Rafa uh, Machete was his name because he chased some dude for with a machete. And then Emmanuel uh, Gordo, he told me he was like an EFI guy. And he was also the other guy that said he liked crack. Um, there was, uh, it was definitely interesting. And my first cell was C103. 108 c108 but so those were the guys and so the first couple days it's like somehow you had gotten money to mike in there uh yeah the attorney did the attorney got money to mike who was the translator we put money on mike's book mm -hmm. and mike came and introduced himself to me good dude from yuma arizona got in trouble got deported but he's pretty much american you know what i mean just a good dude Came to Mexico, got linked up on some meth or some drugs or whatever. And at the point when I left, he had been there almost two years without going to court. 
hadn't had his day in court yet, which was super bummer because he's just such a good dude. Just a, just a, you know, and that's a thing like when you're in there, you get to meet the genuine people because they don't have drugs. A lot of these guys when they're on drugs, they're just somebody else. But when you meet them there, you meet the real them. You know what I mean? So Mike was the translator. He's like, yeah, no, we can put money in the books. Just kept, just kind of find Mike's a solid dude. So we put like 1,900 pesos on his thing. And so like day two, he comes walking into the, in, into the prison. He's like, here, I got you some toothpaste and some deodorant and a bar of soap and a, and a little toothbrush. And the toothbrush is there. They're cut down to about three inches, so you can't make a shank out of them, but it's super hard to brush your teeth. So now I'm like five, five or six days in, haven't brushed my teeth yet, man. And let me tell you right now, seeing that toothbrush was just like, oh yeah, buddy. So I just go get right into it, brush my teeth up. And then, you know, being in the cell with the guys, I'm just like, hey, anybody want to use my toothpaste? You guys can use some, you can't use the toothbrush, you can use my toothpaste. Meanwhile, I have nothing to use everything out of. And the cups and stuff we're drinking out of are all just cut lower halves of a two liter or one liter bottle that were just in the cell. So who knows if they're clean or what, like you're, they don't give you anything. And when they come by to feed you in the cell, they bring by like Hamica or something. They, they have it like in a big bucket and they pour it in your drink. And it's a whole, it's a whole scene. And I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to find water at some point. You know what I mean? Like just to drink water and they have filtered water that's in a, in a little 20 liter thing outside of the building. So I think it's probably day two that I'm in the cell where I decide, well, I might as well take a shower because I haven't taken a shower in two days now. And I got my bar of soap, so it's right there, just in the buck in front of everybody, just going to take a shower. <laughs> you know, you just got to kind of get over it, you know. And so it's an ice cold shower. Um, and I had my bar of soap that they brought me. So uh, after I used the soap, I felt kind of like a jerk if I didn't let everybody use my soap. So because I'm the only guy with soap in there. So I'm like, you guys want to shower and you use the soap, you can use the soap. But you know what I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be not that guy. You know what I mean? Like, because everybody else needs something and the soap's the least I could share. So I'm sharing my soap. There's a couple other small pieces of soap here and there. But yeah, so that's my, that that's my introduction into, into the cell and all that stuff. And I'm just like, the days are so, so long. You know, I'm, I'm they serve breakfast at five in the morning, lunch at 10 in the morning and dinner at about three in the afternoon. And that's really the only thing you have to look forward to. And I wasn't even looking forward to it because breakfast, I just usually gave all my breakfast away. For the first seven days in that holding cell, I pretty much gave away, unless it was meat that they were serving, I was just giving everything away. I had, I had no desire to eat. I was sick to my stomach the whole time. I just kept in my head over and over and over, just thinking like, okay, what do I gotta do? How are we gonna handle this when we go back to court? Now, meanwhile, all these guys in the cell are like, yeah, you're here. They, they all, it seems like they all know the crime, the time. They know everything, right? So they're just like, yeah, you know, you're going to do at least two or three months in here before you can get out. But if you pay, you get out sooner if you pay, you know. And meanwhile, I think I just blew my opportunity to pay after we went there to court. And I'm talking to these guys. I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, you'll get out of here, man. You just got to pay. I said, well, I got a little bit of a problem, like, I told the judge that the guy was asking me for money. And they're like, oh, no, that's not good. Like, everybody's like, that's bad news, you know? So that's not helping me feel any better at all. Um, so those days downstairs are kind of a blur. It's just a lot of talking and hanging out. And the guys were playing a game. I can't remember the game they were playing, but they had, oh, they had made, uh, they had drawn a game board on one of the bunks and were playing some kind of game board with little pieces. One guy's taking little pieces of soap and making little game pieces out of it and stuff like that. And they were making uh, some kind of dominoes. They're making dominoes out of pieces of paper. 
you know, like people had a medical pass, whatever their document, they'd take it. And like, there was like little tiny pieces of pencil, like inch and a half long pencils that were left in there. Um, yeah, just like crap like that. So it was like, be super resourceful with whatever you can get and try to amuse yourself or pass the time or whatever. But really in my first cell, there was really nobody that spoke fluent English. Like everybody was like broken English. And some of the guys I would do what I could to get along with and, and talk to. So that was the first week. And then I go to to court the second time. And this is on Tuesday after I'd gone to court Thursday previously. And now I'm going to court for my fifth day, which I think there's a possibility I'm going home today. Now, by the time I go to that court date, everyone's like, yeah, you're not going home, dude. This is when they set you up and you'll be here for a couple months. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, maybe, because they're telling me, there's only one way out of here, bro. You got to pay. And I'm like, well, I don't think the dude's going to take my money right now. So mm-hmm. what's going on with you now? Well, I'm trying to remember the timeline because Monday we spent all day trying to get your stuff for mm-hmm. you. And then that night, Jane and I are crossing back over the border to go back to Calexico to our hotel and we get into the wrong lane, I'm pretty sure, like the fast track lane of the mm-hmm. border. Right. And so, like, we're already, it's just been a stressful day, running around, trying to get you what you need, not getting the right things, and trying to shop with the attorney. And then we get to the border, and the first guy's like, um, it'll be $5,000. And Jane and I just, like, look at each other like, well, it was a mistake. Like, we'll turn around. Like, we'll go in the other lane. We just got in the wrong lane. And he's like, well, that's not okay, and you're in trouble, and it's $5,000. And we're just like, well, you don't have $5,000. And this is a Mexican guy? or this Yeah, is- this is the next, I think. I mean, he's at the border on the Mexican side. Anyways, he's- Well, sets, you're going back to the States? going back to the States. Okay, so you would have been, that would have been the American side of the border. Okay, well, so I think that they do it just to scare you, right. kind of. But he goes ahead and sends us to the next guy, and the next guy's like, all right, well, it's $3,000. So we look at each other and we're just like trying to be like these cute, like cute, nice girls, girls, right? Bat your eyes. Bat our eyes. You know, <laughs> the cute blonde girls, blonde, white girls trying to get back and just like play dumb. Like, well, and we did. It was an honest mistake, but it was just super annoying that like it's always a on top of everything else. Yeah. These guys want money now. Yeah, It's a mistake and they want this outrageous dollar amount for something that was a total mistake. So anyways, we get through there and cross the border and we go spend the night. I'm trying to figure out what we did Tuesday because we didn't head back home until Wednesday, my notes say, but Tuesday I think we spent the day just trying to, well, your hearing was Tuesday. Right. But I think all day we spent the day just getting me set up in the system so that I could come visit you. Right. Because it's a process. It's like you have to have everything, like your passport, birth certificate, marriage certificate, um, proof of address in the States. Like, it's just a whole list of things. Right. It's like, it seems like super stringent. And then when you get there, it's just all trash. Like, nothing's organized. Everything's just, there's no computer system. It's all just, it's all just lame, right? Yeah. But they won't let you visit unless you have all of this documentation. And they wanted copies and originals. Because I remember there were two different times where I had to have my dad overnight stuff to the hotel so that I could, like, he had to overnight things to me so that I could have the physical things to go and visit you. Mm or to set up whatever they needed. So it was always something. Um, I'm not able to go to the courthouse the at second, all. The second the court The second day. time. Um, the attorney takes us to like a little restaurant, mm-hmm. and we buy food, and we're just eating dinner, knowing that you're like 
in court. In court. Yeah. And she's just trying to pass the time. They don't this is not there. It's not Sarah. It is, is because the guy was the one that was there. Right. Yeah, I had Her two team. I had two guys there. Right. And the one guy the one guy I remember he had a Ferrari pen and I'm thinking well, this guy must be a good attorney if he's got a Ferrari pen. Hopefully he's got the Ferrari car and I'm getting out of here. Like, <laughs> hopefully this is happening tonight. And I can tell the way that they're arguing this, it's just not going the way I want to see it. And I'm waiting to speak with the attorneys before. And they're just super cash, like really not giving me much info. And then afterwards, I'm like talking to the attorney. I'm like, dude, you guys got to talk to this guy, man. Tell him I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that in front of the judge. I don't know why they had me say that. And he's like, yeah, you saying that's a big problem. I'm like... They told me to say that. I was just mm-hmm. beyond frustrated because they're like, yeah, well, you did it to yourself. I'm like, no, not actually. Like, the attorney told me to say that. And meanwhile, at this point, I'm already having a little bit of trust issues with everyone. Like, I love this attorney girl and stuff, but she even told me, like, I'd be able to go to the court, and then I'm not able to. And then she's not even representing you. She sends this guy and this other guy to represent you, and I'm, I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable at this point, like, mm-hmm. what's happening? And then it was that night at dinner that Jason calls me and he's like, I got, I got this lawyer. And he's like, he says he can get him out really quick and really soon. And I'm like, all right, sign me up. Like if he can get him out, if he can really get him out in two days, yes, I'm on board. Like I'm willing to switch if they can get him out in two days. Right. And so he goes ahead and like tells this guy, okay. And you're in court at this, your second hearing at this point. And I'm already like, okay, Jason, let's do this. And so he lines this guy up, and then you go to court. I get the 60-day. Right, we get a 60-day extension. And then what? So you hear all this because the guy obviously calls the first attorney from court and says, here's what happened, whatever, because you guys don't get this information to court. Are you getting this after dinner, after I went to court? Yes. So after I talked to, I think it was Augustine or something, the guy that was with her, um, he calls me. I talked to him on the phone, and he tells me the 60 days. And I'm just, I'm defeated. I'm like, are you 60 days? And at that point, I think I call Jason back and I call Jason. Like, if he can do two or three days, we're switching. Like, I'm not, right. I'm not waiting 60 days. Is kind right. of where I'm at. And I'm feeling bad too because I you feel, feel like, like she tried. Right. But I feel like I'm kind of playing her, but at the same time, it's like it's not about feelings right now. It's about getting my husband home, mm-hmm. right? And so she has it set up to where I can come and see you, and mm-hmm. I do. And I'm so grateful to her for doing that. That was the night after I went to That's court. The night after they you pulled court. me in, mm-hmm. and then I see you, and you look like you haven't slept in a week, mm-hmm. and you're just like, you look like you've lost weight. You look like, I mean, you're having a rough go, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, seeing you like that just like crushed me. I'm right. just sitting there thinking like, bro, I'm my wife's protector. I'm like her rock and here I am useless in prison and I see you and you look physically like you've just been beat up and and I just can't I can hardly hold it together while we're talking because it's like I see what this is doing to my family and all this stuff and I'm thinking like this can't be real like this can't really be happening like this like my my whole world's falling apart right now you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so you and I are talking a little bit and we start out just like business like you're like okay tell Andrew this 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 job this job this job just this job and I'm taking notes and taking notes and then the thing that brought me the most comfort was just when you said, I'm fine. It's like I'm hanging out with a bunch of stupid 15-year-olds all day. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's my husband. Like, right. he's got this. He's fine. Like, But it was always like an up and down. So at that moment, it made me feel good. Like, yeah, I'm that like, you were going to be okay. There's 18 of us in the cell. And you're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's crowded in there, but 
I'm fine. Don't worry about me in here with these guys. It's like camping with a bunch of idiots. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. everybody's just super immature. There's nothing to worry about as far as danger goes for me. Like, I'm fine. I'm capable of handling myself. But it's not even like that in here. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like everybody's just trying to get their time done. Right. And so then it was that night, like after I visit, and we were there together for like an hour and a half probably. She let us visit for a long time, hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And then I walk out and Jane is waiting out by the car, of course, outside the jail. And she just like right away, she's like, you got to call this guy. She's like whispering off to the side, you got to call this guy. This guy right. just called. And I'm like, okay. And so she's like, you go over there. Like she wanted me to go away from the attorney we're working with. Right. So she's talking to that attorney and they're just talking about what happened. And I go walk away from the cars. You called this guy. And I call this guy. And he's like, we can get him out. We were going to, like, we can get him out tomorrow. Like, we can get a helicopter to fly him over the border. We've done this before. My buddy is a, a, a rich, a, a millionaire in San Diego. He has connections in Mexico. And they've done this before. It might cost you a couple thousand dollars. Maybe not. They might just do it. But we've done this before. We can get him over the border. And he's like, so just look forward to hearing from this guy and then this guy, and we'll get going with it. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's do this. Right. So I didn't, this guy reached out to me. And then as we're driving back across the border, I get three more phone calls. Like Over the same from people. the millionaire, from the connection in Mexico. So in my head, I'm like, okay. Like, it's like all these people, real. like these, are these all, guys are all just working. They're just yeah, doing it like right they're, now. Like they're doing it right now. It's happening. It was happening like within 30 minutes, I had talked to all of them, probably less than that. And so Jane and I are both like, oh my, like blessing. Like, right. yeah, we're being looked out for, you know? Right, right. And so, yeah, then everything changed gears at that point. Meanwhile, the following Tuesday, Tuesday go to court, all that stuff falls apart. My meeting with the attorneys are like, yeah, you shouldn't have said that to the judge. The DA's pissed. And I'm like, okay, great. You guys kind of directed me that way. But all right, fine. Sure, it's my fault. I'm just the guy paying the attorneys here. You guys are kind of directing me. So I'm a little bit annoyed by that because now, you know, it's causing a delay. And I said, look, just tell the dude we're sorry. Let's just do what we got to do. Because so far now I've been, in, I've been in the prison for five days. And everybody's like, dude, you just got to pay to get out of here. Trust me, you got money, pay, you get out of here. You can go home. You just got to pay. Everybody says this exact same thing. Mm -hmm. You got money, pay, and go home. So at this point, I go back to the cell, finish the next couple days. Now's my time to move to the third floor because first floor is a one-week holding, and then they divide you by crimes, and you'll go up to the third floor. Uh, Coca 3 was the third floor, C block, and that was for federal crimes. The, the prison, nothing changed. Because everybody in the States here is federal. And they're like, oh, federal? He's like in a country club. Like, no, it's a garbage hole. The prison is a garbage hole. So um, it's completely under-maintained. None of the money goes in the prison system. It all goes in the pockets of the bureaucrats that run it. And no money ever goes into the system where they actually improve the facility at all. So now it's the end of the seven days in the holding cell. I'd been back from my second court date, which was five days after my first court date. So now I'm eight days in jail. And I'm thinking eight days is all I'm going to do. Well, there's two more days to go. Now we're all getting purged out of the holding cell. And now once we, we, we got a little level of comfort, we started working out. I was showing them how to do burpees the right way. And as we started to kind of create this bond in the first floor cell, then we all get pulled out. We get lined up. They tell us to take off all the jail clothes and just keep our own clothes. So I just have my my underwear and my socks on. 
they line us all up, they strip us all down, and then they march us all out the door. We sit in these red plastic picnic chairs and they put a trash bag over us and there's just, there's we just sit in a, a hairy chair and they just shave your head uh, and then they line you back up and you put your arm out and they write, they wrote on my arm C305. Now we're all getting distributed throughout the prison as to where we go now. I get marched up to the third floor. They walk me right up to cell 305, unlock it. I walk right in the room. I'm now guy number 19 in this cell that's built for six people. We'll wrap up this episode and uh, we are seven, eight, nine days in right now. So uh, lots more good stuff to come. But I appreciate you guys for your interest in the story. It's definitely, uh, there's a lot. When I say there's a lot more, there's a lot more to come. So until next week, guys, later. Later.